The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. It is good to be with you guys. I just want to say it right off the bat. I love you guys so much. I'm excited. I am like a bottled up, like just like, I don't even know, can of soda. I'm ready to explode this morning. It's nervous excitement. It's going to come out. Let's see what happens here. So I'm going to go out on a limb here this morning. I don't want to make enemies right off the bat, but I want to make a claim that I believe that the greatest superhero story of all time is Spider-Man. So before you get upset, before you get up in arms, before you leave the theater, uh, let me clarify what I said. I did not say this morning that I believe that Spider-Man is the greatest superhero of all time. I think that would be a foolish claim. I think we could all agree that Spider-Man most likely could be fairly easily defeated by the likes of Iron Man, Hulk, maybe Captain America. But what I did say is that I believe that Spider-Man is the greatest superhero story And here's what I mean by that. Let's remind ourselves of the story of Spider-Man. The story of Spider-Man is really the story of Peter Parker. Uh, Peter was this orphan who lost both of his parents in a tragic plane crash. He's being raised by his aunt and uncle. He's a puny, kind of nerdy teenager growing up in New York City. But then out of nowhere, unexpectedly, he's bitten by this radioactive spider. And overnight, he wakes up the next morning to discover that he's got these brand new, incredible superpowers. He's got super strength, super agility, and super reflexes. And so I believe that Spider-Man is the greatest superhero story of all time is, uh, is because of this. Uh, Peter Parker was not some super rich multi-billionaire that just bought or designed his own super suits. And he's also not this massively jacked genetic freak that just took super steroids like Captain America or the Incredible Hulk. And I'm sorry if I just offended you. I'm sorry if those were your favorite superheroes. Uh, but instead... On the surface, Peter Parker is just a normal person. He's just a normal kid, kind of just like us, facing challenges and insecurities, who then overnight wakes up and has to deal with and adapt with the new responsibility that comes from these brand new powers that he has. Because it's like his Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. And so the evidence that I'm not alone in thinking that Spider-Man is the greatest superhero story of all time is the number of stinking Spider-Man movies that have been made. If we back up time, it was back in 2002, we had the Tobey Maguire trilogy, which I love so much, uh, with Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst. Then in 2012, we had the Andrew Garfield versions that nobody really likes. We kind of pretend like those didn't happen. And then in 2017, we had the Tom Holland version. And it's interesting uh, because it has its sequel literally coming out this Tuesday with Far From Home. Uh, But today, Today, we're not talking about any of those films. Today, we're talking about what I believe is a complete game changer in the Spider-Man universe, and the Spider-Man anthology. Today, we're talking about, as Pastor Dave correctly said, we're talking about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So if you have not seen this movie, I wanna do this. Uh, if you have seen the movie, will you raise your hand? Okay, I got some explaining to do. I got some work to do this morning. Well, uh, first of all, let me tell you, it is available now out on Netflix. So it just came out this past Thursday. I think it was a providential thing. I think God knew that we were speaking this message this weekend. So if you have Netflix, check it out. Uh, but if not, let me explain the movie a little bit for you. So in this film, we're introduced to a brand new character named Miles Morales. And Miles is another teenager also growing up in New York City, uh, but he's got much more of a hip hop urban flair about him. He also has a very large affinity for using his graffiti artwork skill to tag up some abandoned subway walls. And so it's one, uh, just like this one that you see back here, which we'll come back to in a moment. Um, And so it's one evening while he's with his uncle Aaron that he's tagging up an abandoned subway wall. 
when he is bitten by a radioactive spider, just like what happens to Peter Parker. So the, me- the next morning, he wakes up to discover that he is basically Spider-Man. He has the same abilities and skills as Spider-Man. So he returns to the scene where it all happened uh, the next day to maybe try to figure out what happened to him when he witnesses the actual real-life amazing Spider-Man. Peter Parker in the flesh is fighting off a handful of villains. Uh, Spider-Man is in a battle in an attempt to shut down this giant machine. I'm going to try to explain everything. I'm going to try to go quick through this explanation. A giant machine called a super collider. Uh, This super collider was created by this primary evil villain named Kingpin. And Kingpin has created this in order to open up access to multiple dimensions so that he can be reunited with his deceased uh, wife and son. And so uh, in the midst of the battle, Spider-Man and Miles, they actually meet momentarily. They connect with each other and they recognize that they share the same abilities, that they share a Spidey connection. So Spider-Man tells Miles, hey, meet me after, the bo- after this battle. I would love to show you the ropes of what it means to be Spider-Man. So uh, Spider-Man returns to the battle and unfortunately he is unsuccessful at fully shutting down the super collider. And so temporarily Kingpin is able to open up access uh, to multiple dimensions, causing five of them to overlap and collide with each other at one time. And then after the battle, tragically, Spider-Man is actually killed by Kingpin. And Miles witnesses the whole thing happen. So then the next day, Miles goes to the gravesite of Peter Parker, seeking some answers when, in a very bizarre twist, he encounters a different Spider-Man. This one not named Peter Parker, but rather named Peter B. Parker. And Miles learns that this Spider-Man comes from a completely different dimension that was opened up as a result of the Super Collider. So now Miles has this Peter B. Parker to be his mentor, to show him the ropes, to show him the webs of how he can grow into his full potential. Uh, And in this movie, uh, it's going to require both of them and maybe even some other friends to kind of work together to return to the same battle to try to stop Kingpin and shut down the Super Collider. And so in the movie, we're able to witness all the fear and anxiety associated with Miles as he looks to live up to the responsibility and filling in the void that's been left in the death of Spider-Man. Because if you think about it, up to this point for years and years, Spider-Man has been the masked protector and defender of this entire city of New York. And now it is left somewhat defenseless unless if Miles picks up the mantle that's been left behind. But we're going to pause right there with the movie because today I actually want us to look at a different story that we find in history. It's a story that's very similar because it's about someone that also has to step up to filling the leadership void that has been left behind due to the death of a leader. This is a story that we find in the Bible, uh, but I know for a fact today that this is a story that God wants to speak through it to you about how literally like this week, like this year, like right now in your life, how you can live and how God wants you to live. And so uh, this is the story about a man named Joshua. But before we can actually talk about Joshua today, we're gonna back up just a little bit further and we're gonna talk about his predecessor. The man whose sandals Joshua will eventually fill, it's a man named Moses. So I'm gonna take us all the way back to the year 1400 BC and I'm gonna give us a little bit of a history lesson. So at this point in history, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, they're living in slavery in the nation of Egypt and they're suffering severely. And so God loving his people, he sees the distress that they're in and so what he does is he calls out this man named Moses. He raises him up to be this leader that will eventually free his people and lead them out of Egypt and into a promised land. 
And so through a series of severe, uh, miraculous plagues that God sends, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, he eventually relents and he says, okay, Moses, your people can leave. And so Moses begins, and uh, after centuries and centuries of slavery, the Israelites pack up their things and they exit Egypt. They begin to make their way through the desert towards this promised land that I mentioned before. But it's after they take off from Egypt that, that Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, completely changes his mind. He says, I want my slaves back. And so he sends his army to chase after them and to bring them back to Egypt. But what God does in his wisdom and in his sovereignty is he leads the Israelites in the quote unquote wrong direction. God takes the Israelites the long way to get to the promised land and he leads them to a complete standstill right at the foot of this giant body of water known as the Red Sea. And it might as well have been the Dead Sea because that's exactly what the Israelites conclude. They say, certainly we're dead. This Egyptian army, this mighty enemy army is breathing down their necks. They're hot on their trail. They're literally right behind them. And so it seems like after this glimmer of hope for the Israelites, now it's just gonna be snatched right back from them and that victory is gonna be returned to the enemy. See, the Red Sea was not this tiny little stream. It was a massive body of water. There was no physical way that the Israelites could cross it on their own. But God, in that moment, he made a way. And so what God does is he instructs that leader, Moses, to hold out his staff and then he splits the sea so they could walk right through it. If you're a first-time guest here this morning, you might be thinking, man, thank goodness this guy is preaching and he is not on the worship team. That's an inside joke. Um, but not only that, what happens is that the, the Egyptians are bold enough that when they see the Israelites crossing through it, they actually enter into the divided water. And then God in his perfect timing, the very second that the last Israelite makes it onto the dry ground on the other side, God closes the water. He completely drowns, he completely wipes out this enemy army in one moment. And so I wanna stop and I wanna make a connection here. I believe this, I believe that that was a historical event. I believe that that really happened. I believe that for the Israelites, it was as real as today is for you and me. But I also believe that God is literally so sovereign. He is so in control that God is able to write a story through history. God is able to be so intentional that he can give us stories and analogies and pictures from the past that, are, that were purposed to speak a message to you and me today, that were meant to communicate a message to us today. So let me make a connection. I believe for you and I, there was another uncrossable boundary for us that was called sin. Sin is this invisible force that every single one of us were born with uh, from the very day that, that we're born. Uh, it is uh, this force that causes us to be slaves to our evil desires, just like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. But even worse than this, what sin does, what this, this propensity towards evil desires does is that it makes us enemies to God because God is the complete opposite. And hot on our trail is this enemy called death. But by death, I do not just mean physical death. Physical death is something that we know that we will all suffer. But the enemy that was right on our backs was the enemy of eternal death. It was the enemy of forever spiritual death and separation from God. And there was no way that we could cross this boundary of sin to escape to the other side. But just like with the Israelites, God made a way. And I want you to know that the way that God made this morning that his name was, is, and always will be Jesus. 
Jesus is God, Jesus is the Son of God, and he left heaven, he came to this earth, and he took on our flesh and blood. He didn't have to, but he took on our humanity. He walked on this earth, and then for the only time ever, the only person ever, he lived a life that was completely perfect, a life that was completely separate and distinct from sin. And then at the end of his life, he unfairly, unjustly, painfully hung on a Roman cross as the penalty for every single one of our sins was placed on his shoulders. And then on that cross, Jesus died. But this is an incredibly amazing thing that I wanna tie in here. God's word tells us that in the temple in Jerusalem, there hung this massive curtain. There hung this massive veil which symbolically represented the necessary separation between God and man because of God's perfection and our imperfection. But God's word tells us that in the exact moment that Jesus Christ breathed his last breath on that cross, that just like the Red Sea for the Israelites, that that veil in the temple was split in two. It was divided, ripped, and torn right down the middle from the top to the very bottom. But not only that, the even better news is that Jesus Christ did not stay dead. That though he was put in a grave three days later, he literally came back to life. He put death in its grave and conquered over it. And now for anyone, who, for you and me today, when we believe in Jesus when, and when we ask for and accept the forgiveness that he made possible on the cross, two things happen for us. Number one, we are completely forgiven. That is the good news. That's the gospel. Every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, is completely forgiven. But not only that, number two, the same Holy Spirit of God that raised Jesus back from death to life, it comes and it makes its home. It lives within our spirit. So that on the day that we physically die, just like Jesus, we too will come back to life, but not back to physical life, back to spiritual, eternal, forever life with God, what we might call heaven. And so this is this culminary sentence that I wrote out so so I don't mess it up. Let me read this sentence for you. Not only did Jesus's death free you to receive forgiveness and create a clear path to cross the boundary of sin and reach the promised land of eternal life, but his resurrection drowned the enemy of death that was chasing after you. So right now, this morning, you stand dry and clear and free and safe on the other side, and your enemy of eternal death is literally dead, drowned in the water. That's the good news that we celebrate this morning. And so it's after that incredible moment that takes place that Moses then continues to faithfully lead the Israelite people on what becomes a 40-year journey through the desert with the final destination of the promised land. And so then at long last, he finally leads them right up to the footstep of the promised land. But now there's yet another, there's one other boundary that stands before them. It's another body of water, this time not the Red Sea, but this time it's the Jordan River. But at this point in his life, Moses is very old. This is where his leadership journey is supposed to come to an end. He cannot lead them forever. And so therefore the baton of leadership must be passed to another person. And so let me read what, what God's word says here in Joshua chapter one, verses one through two. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River and into the land I'm giving them. This is the point that I wanna say early in my message. I think it might be one of the most critical points that I say all day. I want you to know right now this morning that you have a Jordan River. You have a Jordan River that stands before you and throughout your life, you are gonna have a number of Jordan Rivers. So what do I mean by Jordan River? I'm really glad that you asked. You guys are asking the best questions this morning. A Jordan River is a place where we see a reality on the other side that we believe that God has called us to. 
It's a dream, it's a hope, it's a deep desire that God has placed in our heart. But there stands before us this faith-demanding obstacle that must be crossed in order to reach the other side. And so throughout the rest of my message, seriously, I really wanna encourage you to do this. Think about what is your Jordan River. Try to bring it to mind and keep it in mind throughout the message today because honestly, this message doesn't mean much if we don't then actually apply it. And so let me maybe throw out some options and maybe one of these will hit home for you. Maybe your Jordan River today uh, is that degree that you've always wanted to complete, but the cost and the time commitment is just too intimidating. Maybe the Jordan River that stands before you is that marriage that you've been striving as hard as you can to keep it together, but taking the step to go to marital counseling just feels too embarrassing of a step for you to take. Maybe your Jordan River is that addiction to pornography, to alcohol, to drugs that you've been battling for years and years and years, but again, you're too embarrassed to open up and to share it with someone, to invite someone to come in and help you with it. Maybe it is that wayward child that you have done everything in your power to point them to Christ, but now God is calling you to take a faith step to just trust that they are in his hands. Maybe it's that diagnosis that's challenging your belief to believe in the goodness of God. Maybe it's the ministry calling that you know that God has placed on your life. This morning, I have no clue what your Jordan River is, but I'll say it again, that I promise you that you have one, that you have one that God wants you to cross today. And so let's read, this is what God says to Joshua in regards to his very literal Jordan River. He says this, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or, or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So let me ask you, why is God so repetitious in this passage? Why is it that basically four times he says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid? God knew that for Joshua, the greatest enemy that he would actually face was less about the river, but was actually the fears that would stand before him. And God knows that the exact same thing is true for you, that the greatest enemy that you and I are gonna face in life is actually fear. And so I have a couple of points today. And so I really wanna encourage you to write these down. What we have up here is my resident or our campus resident graffiti artist, Kat Lewis is gonna be helping me out. Uh, the reason behind this is when offered, if I might do this, I have the artistic skill of about a five-year-old. So we figured it might be better if, if someone wrote that you could actually read. And so I have about five different points for you today. She's gonna give us the bullet points of these points. And my first point for you today is this, that God knows your fear. So right now today, not just your fears that are out on the surface, not just the fears that you would say if I asked you immediately, but even the internal hidden fears that maybe you're not even frankly aware of today, I want you to know that God knows them intimately, that he knows them inside and out. But notice that God didn't just command Joshua, hey, don't be afraid because I'm just gonna remove all your problems. We know for a fact that that's not what God does. But rather than simply offering to subtract and take things away, what God does instead is he adds what God does is he adds himself to the equation. And so my second point today is this, that God promises to be with you always. 
So we can remember again what God said to Joshua. He says this, says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I think our preference, if we're honest, is we would just love it if God was just this magic tool that his whole purpose was just simply to make our lives easier. We would love it if God was just this all-powerful genie that we could just snap our fingers and he would just remove any obstacle or challenge that stands in front of us. And frankly, I think the reason for it, if I'm just honest, is because we would love to, to just keep on rolling in whatever direction and whatever pace we see fit. We think that that would be awesome. But today, more than God desires our happiness, more than God desires our success, he, he cares more about a relationship with us. Do you know that? That God doesn't just care about you reaching some level of success. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with him. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth and so God knows that if he just simply removed our problems for us, we would likely not see very much of a need for him. And so instead, what he says is he says, hey, let me walk beside you. Let me defend behind you. Let me go before you. Let's walk through this together. Let's take this on together. Rather than simply allowing us to go our own way, what God does is God invites you into his calling. As she writes, invite on the, on the board, <clears throat> I think that the word calling is an often misused and misunderstood word. I think that we hear the word calling and we think, yeah, pastors and missionaries that go to the jungles of Africa, they have a calling, but I do not. And if I'm just honest, I think that there was a point in my life when maybe I believed that. That maybe I believed that it was only for, yeah, people in ministry, they have a calling, but I do not. I wanna stand here today and tell you that that is just flat out not true. I wanna look you right in the eyes this morning and tell you that you have a calling. And I'm pointing at you, Sean, as well as many, every other person in this room, you have a call, calling. Every single Jesus follower is called to follow Jesus. And following Jesus does not just mean, I hate to break this to you, it does not just mean showing up to church and trying not to cuss. I hate to break that to you. But following Jesus means just that. It means literally following whatever God's will and plan and specific direction is for your life. And no Jesus follower is exempt to just be a bystander that sits in the bleachers. God wants to use you. He wants you to know him and he wants you to make him known. And I promise you this, I promise that if you go after it, if you listen for it and if you seek it out, God will make your calling known to you. He will make it aware to you. And so God's calling for Joshua was to lead his people through the river to a promise. And he gave Joshua some instructions on just how to do it. So let's read this section. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into it and stop there. So once again, one more time, God's about to split the river so they can walk right through it. And God gives Joshua the plan. He gives them all the action steps, every detail that Joshua needs to know to live out his calling. But notice that Joshua didn't only have just the advice and the directions of God, he also had the direction of Moses to follow. One more time, we're jumping back to what we've already said before. Uh, it says that be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Hearing the audible voice of God is, is, very, is not the only way that God speaks. It's very possible that for many of us here this morning, we may never hear the audible voice of God, but God wants to speak, God does speak in a multitude of different ways. 
And I want you to know that one of the primary ways that God speaks is through his people. God did not design us to live out our faith, to walk out our faith in isolation, but rather he made us for community and he made the church to be that community. We need each other and we need to glean from the advice and direction of others that have gone before us. This morning, it's very possible that the very same Jordan River that stands in front of you, that there's someone else in this church community, maybe even in this room that has walked through the exact same Jordan River. Someone may be able to, to meet with you, to share with you what they walked through, how God brought them through, and that may be the confidence that you need to walk through your Jordan River. For miles, he had Peter B. Parker to kind of show him the ropes. And while he's trying to identify with these other spider people, Miles goes out and he buys this cheap little tiny Spider-Man suit that doesn't really quite fit him right. But then uh, he's reminded of what Peter tells him. Peter tells him, hey, what makes you unique, what makes you different, that's what really makes you Spider-Man. And so then what Miles does is just like Cat, our graffiti artist, he picks up what he knows. He goes back to a can of spray paint and he custom designs his own suit. So just like Miles and just like, uh, just like Joshua, know this, that God wants you to be your true self. When it was Moses' time to part the sea, he held out his staff and he split the waters. But the way that Joshua did it is almost completely different, right? They had the exact same objective, but the way that they did it was completely unique. And so this is the takeaway. While we should absolutely look to model our lives after the godly examples of others, don't overlook your uniqueness. God has made you special and specific and unique with specific passions and skills that he intends to use for a specific purpose. So don't overlook them. Miles didn't look right in his cheap little fake suit that anyone else could buy, and so he had to craft his own that was specific to him. And it didn't really matter that his suit on the outside looked different from the other spider people because the power that they shared on the inside was identical. And the thing that really is really highlighted by the difference between the way that Joshua and Moses part the sea is the fact that it was God's power that did it both times. It was God that did the miracle both times. God was their power. God is your power. And God is your hope. Just like the Israelites, it's very possible that the situation before you this morning might literally be humanly impossible. But it's because our God is the God of the impossible that there is never a reason that we cannot hope. If God has called you to a promised land, if he has truly called you to a promised land, then I guarantee you he will make a way for you to get there. But notice God didn't just say, hey, you're gonna come up to the river and it's already gonna be split, just walk right through it. God tells the priests, even while the river is still flowing downstream, even while it still seems risky, I want you to take a step right into it. And that's exactly what they did. Because the priests had complete confidence and trust in God, they were willing to take a step that was anchored in hope. And the exact same thing was required of Miles. So check out this clip. So hopefully you're able to catch what it was that Miles asked Peter. Miles asked Peter, how will I know that I'm actually ready to fully step into this? And Peter tells Miles, honestly, man, you won't. That's why it's called a leap of faith. So if that was Miles's leap of faith, I wanna ask you this morning, like I said, this was the biggest theme I'm gonna keep coming back to. If that was his leap of faith, then what is your step of faith this morning? And I don't want that just to be ambiguous or hypothetical, but literally, can you stop and think right now, this week, what is like a tangible step that you could actually take into your Jordan River? What would that look like? Maybe the small first step that might conjure up fear, but you know for a fact that God is calling you into it because this is what we can be comforted in. Fear is actually just an invitation 
to faith. You know, on this board it says faith, sorry, it says fear always invites true hope because that's all that faith is. Faith is literally just taking a step when we're not quite sure that our foot is gonna land securely. It's taking a leap when we're not quite sure that we're ready. But this morning we can know that we do not have to fear fear, right? Fear doesn't have to be this thing that just as soon as we sense it, we completely avoid it. Rather fear today, I want you to have a perspective shift. Fear is something that God actually might be wanting us to embrace because fear is how we take a step into faith. God wants to develop faith in us. Faith is how we please God, it's how we honor God. And God knows that fear is what causes us to step into it. So don't shy away from it. Uh, this morning, kind of in a conclusion, when I watch the movie Into the Spider-Verse, and when I read the story of Moses and the story of Joshua, there's one word that comes to my mind. That story, uh, that word is the word legacy. That word is the word legacy. If you look at Moses' life, we see a man that we're still reading about today and we're saying, man, what an incredible legacy he left. Then Moses did an amazing job of passing that same exact legacy to Joshua. And you know what? Joshua lived up to it. But I'll be honest, this is a little bit of the Debbie Downer part of my message today. In God's word in the book of Judges, it says that after Joshua died, another generation rose up that did not remember the miraculous works of God. That's actually kind of the tragedy of the story of Joshua. Our faith, a critical piece of our faith is how well we pass it on. Your faith is personal, but your faith is not private. You, you and my, our faith is, is ours, but is also meant to affect far more than only ourselves. It's a question of how well do we pass on the legacies of the next generation. So I wanna share a quick story with you, if that's okay with you guys today. I want you to know that my campus pastors, that my pastors are Dave and Jen Johnson. They're the people that I'm under their leadership that I wanna be as much of a, a Joshua, a faithful assistant serving them with them as my Moses. So it was about four months ago that Dave Johnson, he invited me out uh, to get a dinner. It was back then that it was first mentioned me potentially giving this message uh, today. So we met up for dinner and Dave shared with me a handful of just uh, strategies, advice and tips on how to deliver a message and it was really helpful. But this was my greatest takeaway from my meeting with Dave and I don't say this hyperbolically, but this literally is something that I will remember for the rest of my life. This is something that I will never uh, forget. With every ounce of sincerity that Dave Johnson has in his, had in his body, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Caleb, I care more about your success than I care about my success. And so I want you to know, if you wanna look up in the dictionary, the definition of leadership, that's it right there. If you wanna look up the definition of passing on a legacy, that is it right there. That is what it is all about. Uh, I, for all intents and purposes, it actually makes no sense for me to be on this stage. About four years ago, Shalisha and I were working at a music store together. That was my occupation, that was my job. And so if you would have come into my, the music store and said, hey, Caleb, you'll be preaching four years from now, I would have said, you're crazy, get out of my music store. But today, here I am. And I'm not saying that to celebrate myself, rather what I'm really trying to highlight is that I have been a massive recipient of the undeserving grace of God. And one of the primary ways that God has poured out his grace in my life has been through faithful, trusting, believing people like Dave and Jen Johnson, tons of people at this campus, my parents, my grandparents, that have just poured into me. But this is my conviction. My conviction is that I do not wanna let the legacy that's been poured into me and passed onto me to stop with me. 
I don't want my story to sound like the story of Joshua's. I want it to say that my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids had a faith that was even stronger than mine. What impact might your faith have on your grandchildren? And you might say, I don't have grandchildren, but maybe one day you will. And I want you to know that the faith of my grandparents has had a profound impact on mine. One final thought is the faith in this campus has the potential to have a massive impact on our city. But the ball is a little bit in our court. The baton is a little bit in our hands. The question is how well are we gonna pass on the legacy of faith? And it's every one of us, it takes every one of us. How well are you gonna pass on the legacy of faith that you've received? I want you to know that a legacy of faith that is worth passing on, it always starts with a step of faith. And so I wanna talk to two groups of people this morning. The first group of people that I'm talking to right now is your step of faith is so literally, is so straightforward, is literally just faith. It's everything that I mentioned about Jesus. It's saying, in fact, in my heart, I believe that I cannot cross this boundary called sin. I cannot get to the other side. I want a relationship with you. And I recognize that Jesus, your death was the only way. And so today, your step of faith is to communicate, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need that forgiveness that you made possible on the cross. And it's yours. As soon as you ask for that, you receive it. And the sea is split so that you can make your way to the other side. The second people, second group of people I wanna to talk to is this. And, and let me like pause right here. Let me go ahead and invite us to stand as I begin to talk to you. Uh, God's word says that as soon as the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, as soon as they made it to the other side, they did something interesting. They began to sing. They were so comfortable and confident in the freedom that they just experienced. They were so confident that they were free that they said, hey, let's just kick back and let's worship God. Let's praise him and let's write down a song that we can remember for generations and generations. And so for those of you this morning, I've said it like a hundred times, you have a Jordan River in front of you. It's intimidating. It might be conjuring fear. But I think the thing that gives us confidence is we remember that God already parted the Red Sea of eternal life. And so because of that, he's not gonna leave us. He's not gonna forsake us. He's gonna surround us with his presence as we take on the rivers that are in front of us. So bring that river to mind and remind yourself that you are in fact this morning, a child of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.